Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. speaker who is known as the quantum optimist for helping people discover their many possible selves and jump into their favorite lives as they focus on the question, how good can it get? Cynthia has been featured on the Discovery Channel, History Channel, Coast to Coast AM and the BBC, and you can watch her videos and subscribe to her free easing at realityshifters.com. Brent Marchant has been a lifelong movie fan and longtime student of metaphysics. He's the author of Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction, books that provide reader-friendly look at how the practice of conscious creation is illustrated through film. Brent has a blog at brentmarchantsblog.blogspot.com. Welcome, guys. I'm so glad we're back together again. Oh, hello, Miriam. And hello, Thank you so much for having me. Well, let us dive right in. Ladies first, Cynthia, what have you got for us today? Well, I've got a book called The Eight Laws of Change, How to Be an Agent of Personal and Social Transformation. And this is by Stephen A. Schwartz. So the idea in the book is it sounds like everybody wants to change the world, like the songs and so forth saying, um, I think that was the Beatles. Uh, but actually, there is uh, an element of truth to that. Usually when you look around, you can see things um, just listening to the news, like we were just listening a moment ago. We can hear that there are so many things going on in the world that um, some positive changes would be a nice thing. And sometimes we get frustrated. A lot of groups are not so effective. And some actually have been quite effective. So the author, Stephen Schwartz, he's a distinguished consulting faculty member at Saybrook University. He's done a lot of uh, work with the publication Schwartz Report. And he's written four books, hundreds of papers. And he's written for the Smithsonian and so forth. But the most important thing is he has a lot of personal experience during the civil rights movement in the 60s, the social movements of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And after looking at the dynamics of change, he noticed something really kind of shocking. I was surprised. He found that there's one particular group that has been time after time at the core of all of the successful change movements. And here's the surprise. What he noticed was that every time there were a few Quakers joining together in common intention. So this book is not really telling you how to be a Quaker. Um, you might think, what? <laughs> What's going on there? Um, but what he's really doing is showing that some of the things that Quakers are doing, and he, he describes these eight laws of change. He just observed these guys, they're very quietly part of things that are successful. What they're doing is that they share a common intention. That's, that's one of the eight things. Another one is they have goals but not cherished outcomes. They also accept they may or may not see change in their lifetime. They accept having a lack of credit or acknowledgement. That's why people don't usually think of Quakers as being the ones who are really successful here. 
They enjoy fundamental equality. They forswear all violence. They're consistent between their private and their public positions. And they act from a place of integrity. So, oh my God, it sounds like absolutely every one of those um, elements is absolutely 180 degrees from what we see around us. Well, yeah, because we're watching the corporatocracy trying to take over the world. But here's how to turn that around. And so I think this is one of the books of our times. I think it'll be a classic. You know, the book itself is not nearly as dry as I just spelled it out. It actually is lively. So each chapter tends to go through an example. Like Benjamin Franklin did a lot of wonderful things that were very long-reaching, far-thinking. And I'm so impressed with what he's been able to you know, do in terms of setting things up so that we have libraries. We have a lot of um, public things, that, um, including school systems and just things that we take for granted now. And we think that they're part of America. But unless someone like Benjamin Franklin put them together, and actually a lot of what he did was in accordance with these laws of change. So you don't need to be a Quaker. I'm just pointing out, this is kind of interesting. You know, there is a group of people who are doing these eight things, and Stephen Schwartz then ties it all together and shows how lots of people are bringing about amazing positive changes in the world and how we can all do the same thing. I think this is going to be my next favorite book. Thank you very much, Cynthia. That was a a wonderful thing to bring to our attention. The Eight Laws of Change, How to Be an Agent of Personal and Social Transformation, by Stephen Schwartz. Wow. Okay. Brent, what have you got for us? Well, with the Academy Awards right around the corner today, I'm going to be looking at several films that explore um, championing causes, um, facing fears, living heroically, and the search for bringing meaning to life through some of the nominated films. And the first one I want to talk about is a movie called Spotlight. Uh, It's a fact-based drama that chronicles the work of a group of uh, journalists played by Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel McAdams, and Brian Darcy James, who work for uh, Spotlight, which is the investigative reporting unit of the Boston Globe. Uh, The film details uh, the team's efforts in exposing a scandalous calculated cover-up that was orchestrated by the Archdiocese of Boston to conceal years of sexual abuse committed committed by priests against minors. Uh, The picture profiles the crusader, these crusaders seeking to bring real meaning to their work. Uh, it's an initiative aimed at righting long-hidden wrongs and championing the cause of um, many victims whose voices hadn't previously been heard. Uh, their fearless, determined efforts inspire viewers and provide an impressive look at a truly uh, courageous form of heroism, uh, a feat that, ironically enough, is accomplished with little more than a pen and a notebook. Mm. Um, the film also honors the, the brave victims you know, who came forward in overcoming their fears in the face of a powerful authoritarian institution. Uh, but thanks to their efforts and with the backing of the Spotlight team, uh, they earned the justice that was due them, uh, leading to the exposure of the scandal both in Boston and eventually uh, elsewhere, and reached around the world, uh, and led to the resignation of uh, the Cardinal who contributed to the cover-up. Um, the film is, admittedly, it's a little bit slow in the first 30 minutes, but once the story takes off, it's utterly riveting um, with fine performances from an ensemble cast that's excellent. Uh, it also presents a meticulous account of what it took to pull this story together, which was interesting because the screenwriter really didn't have a book to draw from. He had to kind of piece together information from interviews with the, cat, with the, um, the real reporters and also from the published news stories itself. 
so it, it was quite an interesting feat to be able to do that. Um, the picture has been has been richly rewarded for its accomplishments so far, um, receiving numerous nominations in the, in the various competitions leading up to this year's Oscars, um, taking home uh, several honors, including um, three Critics' Choice Awards for Best Picture, Best Acting Ensemble, and Best Original Screenplay, as well as the Screen Actors Guild for Best Ensemble Cast. Uh, it's currently up for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, uh, and the supporting performances of Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams. And I think it's got a, a very good chance of taking home at least one or two awards. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely well worth your re- well worth viewing. Uh, anyone who'd like to see a complete review, it can see it on my blog page, or they can view it on the um, the entertainment tab for Vivid Life magazine, available at vividlife.me. So that was again Spotlight. Spotlight. Well, you know. You mentioned the two kind of factions in this film. One is the courage and the, the, the uh, uh, I guess, uh, doggedness of the reporters in uncovering the story. But the other really is in the victims being willing to come out and oh. talk about what happened to them. Yes, absolutely. Especially in a city like Boston, where which is so heavily Catholic and where the church is such an omnipresent force, uh, anyone who dared challenge that that institution was really, um, you know, risking a lot for themselves personally. Mm. Um, so the, the the fact that they were able to step forward and tell their story and do so in a way that uh, made their voices heard uh, brought a degree of comfort to the many people who have been affected by this. This seems to be a meme of this time where people are no longer uh, willing to uh, suppress their criticism in the face of big organizations, whether it's government or, or uh, churches or, or even calling out uh, uh, heads of organizations and corporations. Well, I would agree with that because I think we're reaching a point in the development of our consciousness where people are realizing that they don't have to have an institution to speak for them. Uh, they have their own voice, they have their own power, and they're starting to claim it now. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, these, these films and these books are uh, doing wonderful work in giving them the moral support and the moral authority to go ahead and do that. And they really provide excellent sources of inspiration as well, because if somebody is, is relatively new to these concepts and ideas and they're looking uh, to express themselves, they might be you know, kind of floundering around saying, well, how do I do it? What do I do? Uh, these books and movies really provide an excellent example for them to draw upon. And movies seem to be even more powerful than books. I hate to say that, being, <laughs> being a book person. <laughs> Well, it's it, they <clears throat> they provide you know the visual and and uh, the, the imagery to go with the story, which I think really has a, a tremendous impact. Um, yeah, they say that away. that when you visualize something, particularly you know my husband when he hypnotizes someone, he tries to bring in all different modal multiple modalities to really uh, embed it in the subconscious. So, I guess that's what we have going for us in the film world. And we could be thankful for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and also that was one of the laws of change, Cynthia. Um, oh, yes. Not, not being in it just for yourself. 
And this is a big, I I agree with both of you that this is a time of extraordinary consciousness shifting and changing. So people are recognizing they can make a difference. Yeah. Okay, well, that's our cue for taking a station break. This is Reviewers Roundtable for New Consciousness Review, and we've got Cynthia Sue Larson and Brent Marchant, and I'm your host, Miriam Knight. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. The number one reason girls drop out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is lack of access to feminine hygiene products. The Pads for School Girls Project, an outreach of Humanity Healing International, is changing this paradigm by setting up sewing programs at schools, teaching girls a vocational skill, while producing the reusable pads that help keep them attending classes. The girls pay it forward by making and giving pad kits to other girls in need. To learn more, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Do you want to be a better communicator? Do you want to better connect with the important people in your life? Do you want to enrich your relationships? If so, join me, Matthew Cooper, on the Positive Control System Show every Wednesday evening at 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ohm Times Radio. I'll meet you there. Hi, this is Angela Levesque, host of Entanglement Radio. Join me Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern for inspiring conversations with visionaries in spiritual science and conscious healing. Entanglement Radio, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern. Transcendent talk for the conscious mind. Being a radio host on IOM-FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Captured our imagination and attention. Cynthia, what's your next book? My next book is called Life on the Edge, The Coming of Age of Quantum Biology. It's co-authored by John Joe McFadden and Jim Al-Khalili. And this is a book that might sound a little bit daunting, but um, I think everybody has something that they can get out of it because this is actually the brilliant debut of quantum biology in this book. And the two authors, uh, John Joe McFadden, he's a professor of molecular genetics at the University of Surrey, He's written lots of textbooks, and he's been heavily involved in noticing that there's something going on in biology that processes everything from DNA and, you know, things that we think of as very basic, such as uh, the flight of birds and so forth, and the way smells and our sensory apparatus works in our body. All of these things actually have a very quantum quality to them. So he teamed up with Jim Al-Khalili who is an academic author and broadcaster. He's a theoretical physicist. And he was one of the few people that didn't laugh at John Joe McFadden early on because John Joe McFadden's research really goes back quite a long ways where he was noticing through his work in the field of um, 
biology as well as just getting involved in noticing that there's something going on. There's a body of evidence building both within the fields that he was studying directly as well as other researchers. And the uh, examples of things like photosynthesis in plants uh, are demonstrating really remarkable properties in quantum physics such as quantum coherence and the ability to transport energy. And um, birds, for example, are able to improve their navigational system thanks to quantum physics as well. And so a lot of the previous assumptions and the reason he'd been laughed at before uh, by a lot of scientists was that people assumed that quantum phenomena only happen on the quantum scale. People that know me know that this is one of my big areas of interest because I know that's not true. And so what John Joe McFadden and Jim Al-Khalili demonstrate in this book is really, as I said, this debut of this whole new field of quantum biology and what I love so much about the book is the painstaking attention to detail when they describe the history of what went on, even some of the things where people originally had laughed at them. They mentioned Seth Lloyd at MIT thinking this sounds ridiculous and saying things to that effect. But then he was willing, Seth Lloyd was willing to keep an open mind and test mathematically to see if some of the claims of these scientists that quantum effects were actually happening in warm, wet, noisy biological environments could be true. And Seth Lloyd actually did help to prove the case um, that, yes, indeed, mathematically, this photosynthesis example is a very solid case of a quantum random walk. So um, give us give us a, an instant definition, uh, idiot-proof definition of quantum. Idiot-proof? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long silence there. <laughs> idiot-proof. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you don't ask much. Um, well, basically, quantum effects are interesting in the sense that they are seemingly mysterious. They seem very different than what we think of when we think of classical physics or an apple falls out of a tree and we think we know what's going on with forces. So it's magic. It sounds like magic because there can be instantaneous changes occurring. Um, quantum particles can tunnel right through solid barriers as if they're not there at all. Um, they seem to communicate with themselves and be in cahoots across great distances as if time and space don't matter and there can be this interconnectivity. They do seem to respond to consciousness. So when you observe things, it makes a difference. Even if you're going to observe something in the future, it affects what's happening now and what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. So there's just this remarkable kind of a synchronicity of um, and symphony, actually, of interrelated parts moving together, that there is order from order and one of the things I also love about this book is the description of Erwin Schrodinger, who originally did present the idea that biological life is dependent on quantum processes at a very fundamental level. So he was one of the first ones to, to say that, and then it was only later. I think people tend to keep going back to classical physics. They feel safe there. That includes scientists, um, because it seems like we can understand that. When we move into this realm of spooky action at a distance and interconnectedness, and everything moving together, that gets a little bit strange for um, a lot of scientists. But I see that we're on this edge right now of a massive change. I actually have interviewed John Joe McFadden on my radio show, Living the Quantum Dream, on the Dream Vision 7 radio network. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Go ahead and give it a plug. Okay, so that's dreamvision7radio.com. So it's Dream Visions is all written out. Seven is the number seven. Radio.com. And my program is part of the Evolutionary Voices for the New Quantum Age. And it's called Living the Quantum Dream. 
So it's my interview with John Joe McFadden is there. I also actually interviewed Stephen Schwartz about his eight laws of change. And I do a lot of interviews, anything that's related to this topic of how our consciousness literally can change the physical world and how there are connections. Oh, that's what I like to talk about with some of the world's leaders in these areas. Well, what I am so excited to see is really the convergence between uh, magic and physics because uh, the the whole quantum world um, is our uh, baby steps towards actually understanding things that are outside of the old Newtonian laws. And it's such fun to see it all converging. And I like the way that I agree with you. And I also love the, the fact that there appears to be a, a prominence, actually, of quantum logic in the natural world that instead of thinking like quantum physics is something we only do when we have to, and it only applies to certain select areas, Actually, it seems like um, just the opposite is true and that everything at its very core is quantum, which mm. can explain the remarkable unlikeliness of this entire universe to begin with. <laughs> okay, well, from there to Wall Street, Brent, your next film. Oh, yes, my next film is another Oscar nominee. Uh, it's, and it's a subject, has a subject that's not really something you would think of as being something that uh, most people would want to see on the screen. Uh, but it's a movie called The Big Short, which uh, provides an insightful look at the 2008 financial meltdown and the motivations behind some of those who, um, who approached it. In particular, it looks at a group of financial professionals um, who saw the housing bubble coming and how they decided to approach it. Uh, one was out to protect his investors. Another was out merely to make money. Uh, and another saw a broken system and decided to profit from it to use the money to fund altruistic endeavors. Um, it, it's interesting that it involved one central event, and yet you had so many different approaches to that same event. It kind of speaks to that uh, quantum idea that Cynthia was just talking about, where uh, if at any given moment you have any number of probabilities to choose from, uh, we can each go down whichever one we find to be most suitable for us. And in this case, <clears throat> excuse me, you had uh, different people who did just that. Um, the film also um, takes a look uh, at the, uh, the people who, who lost out because of this, too, who, who ended up um, approaching it with blinders on and uh, uh, were willing to engage in what ended up being offers that were you know, too good to be true and ended up losing their shirts as a result of it. Um, and yet all of these things come under the umbrella of one central event, which is really kind of interesting to see how many different reactions you get from uh, one particular set of circumstances. Um, the, other, the other way in which this movie is kind of unusual is the fact that it's a comedy for the most part. <laughs> it doesn't sound like the kind of topic that would seem to be particularly humorous, and yet um, when you see some of the, the lunacy and the madness that was in place when this was all playing out, um, you can't help but kind of poke fun at it and also uh, to understand just how utterly ludicrous some of the ideas were that were driving this whole uh, situation. Um, and well, all of, the, all of the facts in this uh, were absolutely true. I mean, oh, yes, this absolutely. was the subprime debacle. Yes, exactly. And, and, they, and they explain these rather complex concepts 
in really kind of fun and innovative ways. I mean, one in one situation, for example, they they literally compare it to um, gambling in a casino mm-hmm. and saying, well, if you wonder why things happen the way they did, think of what happens when you go into gamble in a casino. Um, so it's it's really um, quite effective at at, at uh, bringing these ideas home and showing how they turned out as they did, and why people came up winners and losers in the situation. Um, it also speaks a lot to the idea of intuition, which is important because the people who spotted bubble coming before it happened intuitively saw that even though what they were thinking ran counter to the conventional thinking at the time. Um, they knew that this outcome was going to happen and said it's time to move on it while we have the opportunity to do so, even if other people are going to be standing still and, and um, you know, having their jaws drop when the, when the result finally happens. Um, the film has um, been uh, pretty, um, pretty widely recognized as, as, a, as a winner. Um, <clears throat> it's picked up a number of awards so far. Uh, including the uh, the Producers Guild Award, which is often a very big indicator of what film ends up winning the Oscar for Best Picture, uh, for which it's nominated, along uh, in several other categories, including um, Best Director and um, uh, Best Supporting Actor for Christian Bale. Uh, it's not necessarily the kind of thinking, kind of movie that you would think would be your your first choice for a night out. But if you're willing to give it a chance, I think you'll find it to be very entertaining and very enlightening. And complete reviews of this are available on my webpage, on the website of Smart Women's Empowerment, and on Vivid Life. I thought it was a fascinating movie. Uh, my husband and I saw it. My husband has a, a, a murky past as a stockbroker and uh, merchant banker. And so we remarked on, first of all, how true uh, the the film was to life and to the reality around us, and uh, also remarked on how few people actually um, paid any kind of consequential price for their misdeeds and their blindness, and how we as a people just went ahead and bailed them all out and it's business as usual, except for a few sacrificial lambs. Well, actually, in the movie, it showed only one sacrificial lamb, which is really quite amazing, you know, given uh, how many people who were called. Yeah, well, the other sacrificial lambs (laughs) were all the people who lost their houses. This is true. This is true. Um, Yeah, it it was interesting because this was a movie that I I can't say I was especially looking forward to go seeing the, the the trailer for it was not all that interesting, and, and the marketing materials in advance weren't particularly compelling. So I sort of went into it with kind of a lukewarm feeling, but I came out saying this is, the, in my opinion, the best picture of the year. I, I would like to see it win the Oscar. I don't think it's going to, but I would certainly love to see this take home the award on Sunday night. I second that, Brent. It's called The Big Short. Go see it. It really educational, and funny, as you say. Okay, um, we're going to be right back with Brent Marchant and Cynthia Sue Larson. Stay with us. We've got lots more goodies for you. Conscious Media for Conscious Minds. Ohm Times. Are you trying to get from point A to point B and need a little advice? Connect with the counselors at Ohm Times Advisors. Whether you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual intuitive, 
the advisors participating at advisors.omtimes.com were carefully chosen based on their gifts, skills, and professionalism. Ohm Times Advisors, connecting you with the best advisors in the business. Matt Connerton here. Join Jen Coffee and I twice a week for Matt Connerton Unleashed, a political talk show that's a little different than what you're used to. No liberal or conservative agenda here, just an honest dialogue about truth and how things really work in the world of politics. Matt Connerton Unleashed, every Tuesday and Thursday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio. Hi, this is Sylvia Henderson, Intuitive Life Coach and Energy Healer. Are you ready to elevate and rise way above your normal? Be sure to listen to my show, Intuitive Transformations, on Own Times Radio, Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Get the inspiration you need to transform your life. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. The future of Internet radio is here. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. with uh, two little books about love. One is called Lessons on Loving in the Little Prince, Insights and Inspirations by David Robert Ord. I interviewed David a number of years ago uh, about his book, The Coming Interspiritual Age. And David is an expert in relationships. And I was just fascinated by the juxtaposition of the wonderful children's book, or children and adults book, The Little Prince uh, by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, um, and taking the lessons that I had learned as a child, you know, seeing them as a child, and then laying them against the dynamics of relationships. And I thought it was absolutely beautifully done and quite fascinating. And I just want to read one time tiny little passage because I think it is so apt to the process that we're going through today, particularly the political process. It's talking about the rose and the little prince who have this kind of, of uh, very uh, human uh, love relationship. And the rose says, I was born at the same time as the sun because she doesn't have a solid sense of herself. She has to associate herself with something all recognized to be magnificent. And this is, again, uh, David uh, Ord. When you have a poor sense of yourself, you tend to borrow a feeling of worth by association. Being seen with the right people, in the right places, with the right house, the right clothes, the right car, is like receiving a life-sustaining blood transfusion. It supplies you with a borrowed sense of identity to tide you over for a while. So it's kind of new wisdom piled on old wisdom, and I just love it. That was called Lessons on Loving in the Little Prince by David Robert Ord. Okay, Cynthia, what do you have next? Okay, I've got a book called Quantum Models of Cognition and Decision, and this is co-authored by Jerome Busemeyer and Peter Bruza. These are both professors. Um, Jerome Pusemeyer is a professor in psychology and brain sciences at Indiana University. 
Peter Bruza is a professor in the Faculty of Science and Technology in Brisbane, Australia. And where this comes together, again, we've got something extraordinary in this book, and it's another some a book that people will be coming back to, I'm sure, for years to come because it's setting forth the foundation of this new field of quantum cognition. So this is the kind of thing I love. I like to see again, like, yay, they're showing that we've got quantum models of cognition in human thinking. And what this book does is it shows that there is this very different kind of a structure to the way humans make decisions, to the way we even remember things. And so that it, it's not illogical, as people have in the past presumed, when you give a number of people a questionnaire and ask them uh, to determine what they liked about various books or movies or political candidates. And when you put the movies or books or candidates in a different sequence, the people surveyed give different answers. So clearly, what people used to think was humans, therefore, are illogical. And we think of logic as being like Spock on Star Trek, you know, this very kind of disciplined thing. What this book is showing is that actually quantum logic works better. It's more natural. It is what humans do. Uh, we are not illogical when we consider the associated facts and details that we network in our mind when we think of something. That's why it makes a difference when you ask questions out of sequence. So if you're deciding to choose to buy a car and you find out that your life partner, your husband or wife would prefer something in a certain um, way, you know, that they have preferences that are a little different than yours, that makes a difference. And, you know, all these little things make a difference to humans because we are not just looking only at the so-called facts, but we're looking at beliefs, attitudes, and intentions that get changed when we go and, and actually do retrieval of memories. So this can be seen as a kind of a technical book, it, it, it definitely could be used as a textbook or uh, something that you might use in, in college. But I want to emphasize that if you have any interest in the subject at all, you can ignore the equations. Just look at the pictures, read the words, and then you can start by just reading through this book, starting to get a sense of what is quantum and how does it relate to the way humans think, the way we talk to each other, the way we work together, make decisions, and think about things. And this is an, ex if you're a scientist or any kind of researcher, boy, you're going to love this book because then you can read the equations and really dig in and enjoy the very solid basis for building up this brand new realm uh, of psychology, this brand new field called quantum cognition. So I highly recommend it. Uh, Brent, I'm going to have to leap in here with my next book because it's so related to this one. Um, it's called The Energies of Love by Donna Eden and David Feinstein. And uh, David is a PhD psychologist um, who was a uh, you know, professor. Um, and Donna is a pioneer in the area of energy medicine. And what they do in the book is connect the um, body's energy field to the ways that we process energies and information when we're under stress. And they define four different types of um, energy processors, the, the, the visual and the tonal and the kinesthetic, and explain what that means in how um, they relate to each other. And uh, of course, everybody is a 
compilation of all four, but one is dominant, and that's their kind of default state. And they explain the relationship between the energies and our hormones. So it's bridging into that physical um, world, the, the, the kind of spiritual physical world, that middle ground um, that we're calling quantum. And that's why um, I love it. And, and of course, they give you um, tapping exercises and energetic fixes uh, to rebalance these energies. So it's, it's like pieces of a mosaic coming together with Cynthia's book and, and the energies of love. Fascinating, fascinating. Okay, uh, so that was called The Energies of Love. And Brent, what do you have next? Well, my next film is um, it's an, uh, a powerful drama from Hungary that's been nominated for the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. It's a movie called Son of Saul. And this movie outlines uh, one man's attempt to bring a semblance of humanity to circumstances where none exists. In this case, the notorious German death camp of Auschwitz, uh, where countless victims were mercilessly slaughtered during World War II. Uh, under seemingly impossible odds, however, um, he's convinced that he's able to uh, bring about the goal he's seeking to achieve, which is providing a burial for a young boy um, who um, managed to survive the, um, the gas chambers but subsequently died uh, rather than um, being relegated to the standard form of um, cremation that the Nazis were using. He wanted to give him one last bit of humanity and one last bit of dignity before um, moving on. And um, he has to go through really tremendous uh, obstacles in order to try and pull this off. Um, it's a very, very powerful movie and, and, and creates a very strong visceral feeling when you're watching it. So it's definitely not everybody's cup of tea. Um, in particular, that's uh, largely because of the way the film is, um, has been photographed. Uh, it's used mostly with um, handheld cameras filmed up close. So when you're watching the story play out, the viewer actually feels as though you are in the midst of the circumstances that are taking place. Um, the other thing that the, the director does with this movie is that he employs what's um, been sort of loosely termed Hitchcock's rule, where um, he conveys suggestions of the action that's going around without actually depicting them, because he knows that anything that you can create in your own mind is going to be more terrifying than anything you can actually show. Mm. Um, and he accomplishes that by focusing the camera almost exclusively on the face of the title character, Saul, um, where you're getting his reaction to everything that's taking place around him. It's really quite powerful in the way he carries this off. And as I say, it's not something that's going to appeal to everybody, but when you look at his heroic attempts to bring a semblance of humanity and dignity to a place where none exists, it's really, really quite inspiring. Um, as I say, the movie is called Son of Saul. It's from Hungary. It's a nominee for Best Foreign Language Film. It's, it's picked up most of the honors in, in the competitions leading up to the Oscars, and I don't see any reason why it won't do the same come Sunday night. Um, complete reviews of this are available, again, on my website and on Vivid Life. It's interesting how our humanity uh, manages to still... Uh, 
keep a toehold even in the most desperate of circumstances. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that really distinguishes this film from a lot of other movies that have been made about the Holocaust in the fact that it provides you with a sense of hope as the story is playing out, even though all these horrible things are going on around the lead character, he still is on this mission to provide a sense of um, dignity and humanity at a time when it would seemingly die with everything that's going on around him. Mm. I think we're seeing a lot of this playing out in the Middle East now and, and in Europe with the refugee crisis. Who knows how that's going to uh, shift well, our I, world, really. Yeah, I, I agree. And also, I, I think it, it just by virtue of the fact that the story is, is designed to offer a ray of hope, um, it's, it's very easy, I think, at times for us to look at a lot of things that are going on and feel overwhelmed and say, well, what can I do? You know, we're doomed. We're going to be consumed by all this. And yet, here you have an inspiring example of someone who is saying, no, I refuse to accept that. I reject that idea. I will do everything I can to make sure that the best of what of mankind somehow manages to survive even under these circumstances. I can only say, hear, hear. So, um, we only have a few seconds until our next break. Um, Cynthia. One thing, one thing I forgot to mention about that last book is that I also interviewed the author of that book as well at Living the Quantum Dream. So three of the the last three books that I've discussed all have in-depth discussions with the authors at my radio show, DreamVision7Radio.com, Living the Quantum Dream. And that would include the books by Stephen Schwartz, John Joe McFadden, and Jerome Busemeyer. And I've spoken with all of them in depth about their books and their ideas. And so that's a great way for people to familiarize themselves with what they're all about. Let your inner nerd out. Absolutely. And um, while we're in the uh, swing of it, I want to invite you to go to the New Consciousness Review website at ncreview.com, where you'll find all of our archive as well as blog and reviews. Okay, well, that's our signal for our final break before uh, the end of the show. I hope you'll stay with us. We'll be right back. The cutting edge of conscious radio, OM Times Radio, IOM FM. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Hello, I'm Sandy Sedgbeer host of the Inspired Parenting radio show, where every week we bring you empowering information from the diverse fields of conscious parenting, education, neuroscience, consciousness, health, and metaphysics to support you in nurturing the best in your children. So if you're interested in understanding what shapes your children's minds, spirits, and hearts, join me every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and prepare to be inspired. 
Circle of Hearts Radio is a sanctuary on the airwaves. Join me, Grandmother Aliyah, in the circle on Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, as I share information to both enlighten and nourish your soul. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. OM Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single OM Times endeavor. Host your show with OM Times Radio Network. Bringing a more conscious lifestyle to your world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Uh, you have a rather interesting book for your last selection. Ah, uh, yes. This one is different. And you may have noticed there definitely was a bit of a nerdy theme going on with the two books. The first one wasn't so nerdy, but I, I don't take that as a... As a no, no. I, I'm a self-confessed nerd as well. <laughs> I like intelligent ideas. And that's what all of my books, my favorite books always share, is some sort of intelligent concept, something that can really make a difference in our lives. And this last book is no exception. This book is called, it's about dogs, and it's called Embracing the Wild in Your Dog written by Brian Bailey, and um, this would definitely be of great interest to any pet owners, but it's coming from a very different perspective. The author often gets involved with families who have had problem dogs, dogs that have attacked a child, a neighbor, a stranger. Um, They've basically run amok, and so instead of saying, you need to take this dog back to obedience school or put the dog down, it's, it's not really a dog obedience book at all. It's instead a book that provides a deep understanding of what's involved in canine behavior. And it's, I think it's really a pointed sort of a sledgehammer. (laughs) It's it's kind of um, very firm in the way it expresses the idea to the reader that there is an inner wolf in all dogs and you can ignore it, but you're doing so at your own peril. Of course, we see these images of Paris Hilton with the purse dog and so forth. And people get the idea that pets can be, especially dogs can be little furry humans. It's often a surrogate for children when people choose or can't have children for some reason. But the thing is, as the, as the author points out, dog aggression is here to stay. And no matter what people do to try to breed that out, train it out, medicate it out, that, that's not going to change anything because there is a, an underlying level of built-in aggression in dogs. Now, keep in mind, this is a dog expert. So he's he, he does come in He's sort of the last um, stop on people's way before they have to give a dog up or put it down. So the author is basically explaining that this is a natural thing and our dog's perception is very different from human dis- perception. Often he hears people tell him that uh, this there can be a peaceful encounter this time, so it proves that there's improvement. That doesn't necessarily make a difference. So it's really a warning cry, this book. And then the third big point that the author makes is that dog aggression is never governed by human laws or human moral consciousness. Dogs, they're not going to heed fair play and they don't show remorse um, because they're social animals, but they've got this whole different thing going on. So it's really an extraordinary book, I think, not just for dog owners or people that like dogs, but for anybody interested in psychology in general, because 
if you just take into account, and I think this applies to movies too, when you take a look at the animal nature in all of us, then you disregard that at our own nature as well. But that's just sort of a side note for all of us. But I think when you're reading this book, if you are a dog owner, like I've been a dog owner, then you have a really um, cherished, deep feeling of stronger appreciation for what you went through with your pets or what you're going through and seeing the wolf, the inner wolf within your dog. So it's... Does it's, the, it's, does the book provide um, guidance on how to coexist with it? Well, only from a philo- philosophical standpoint. So it, I think readers would be disappointed if they're expecting that they can read this book and then suddenly start training their dog to take advantage of the fact, okay, it's a wolf, but we're going to make this work. It's not really that kind of a book. It's not an obedience book. But it's um, it's it's basically the kind of a wake-up call so that people don't get lost in a fairy tale world where dogs are just little people in fur coats. Um, actually, dogs are more like wolves. And the indigenous people, the First Nations people understood that. There are some really great quotes in this book from, for example, Chief Dan George, who says, if you talk to the wolves, they will talk with you and you will know each other. If you do not talk to them, you will not know them. And what you do not know, you will fear. What one fears, one destroys. And that's, mm. that's, that's an indigenous feeling about wolves, about about what happens there. And I think it's it's nice just to bring some balance to this. So, I, you know, dogs are cute. They are like little children. That's true. But there's more going on here. And it's worth all of our time to pay attention to that. So it's, it's kind of a very different take on things. Fascinating. Embracing the Wild in Your Dog by Brian Bailey. Cool. Brent. Well, my last movie today has um, a, a small topic that it covers and basically the meaning of life. <laughs> uh, it's a movie called Youth. Um, and the meaning of life is something that has uh, it's mesmerized, perplexed, and confounded mankind throughout the ages. And a lot of the time we come away from asking that question with no definitive conclusions. Um, but making the effort to find answers is ultimately what really counts, especially before the end arrives. And that's essentially what the cast of characters does in this new film. Um, director Paolo Sorrentino, who won an Oscar a few years ago for a movie called The Great Beauty, um, has served up a, a thoughtful treatise about youth and aging in this movie that follows the life and relationship of two old friends, um, a, retired orchestra con- a retired orchestra conductor played by Michael Caine and a filmmaker seeking to make his ultimate cinematic statement played by Harvey Keitel. Uh, and this all unfolds while the two of them are vacationing together in an exclusive resort in the Swiss Alps. Uh, through their interactions and their conversations with, e- with each other, um, viewers are, are let in on what their thoughts are about what we do with the time between youth and death and how we all understand it all, uh, you know, as the end starts to approach, uh, all in hopes of finding some meaning from the experience. Uh, the film is features gorgeous cinematography, uh, excellent performances by Keitel and by Jane Fonda in a powerful supporting performance, um, a diverse and emotive musical score, and beautifully, beautifully layered writing. Uh, it really ends up being a feast for the senses, and it leaves viewers with a lot to think about when the film comes to its conclusion. There's a, a few slow passages in the picture's first hour, but as the movie goes on, it grows on you the further you get into it, and you end up coming away from it, uh, as I did, I think, mesmerized. Um, 
the film has received a certain degree of attention, um, mostly for its uh, signature musical piece called Simple Song Number no. 3, for which it received an Oscar nomination. But it's the kind of movie that really deserved, I think, a lot more attention than it, than it has gotten. Um, it's certainly, uh, certainly deserving all, of all of the um, recognition that it's been given so far, and then some. Uh, I think uh, if you allow yourself to be moved by the experience, uh, you'll come away from it feeling richly rewarded. Uh, uh, complete reviews, once again, are available on my blog page and on Vivid Life. Cool. Youth. Okay. Um, I have just a couple of minutes to get my last book in. It's called Saving Delaney by Andrea and Keston Ott-Dahl. This is the story of a lesbian couple, and, um, you know, it's not possibly not everyone's cup of tea, but what is so fascinating is that the, um, they decide to offer uh, their services to, for a surrogate pregnancy to a, another lesbian couple in um, Silicon Valley. And when the pregnancy is in about its you know, peanut stage, um, discover that the child has genetic markers for Down syndrome and heart uh, problems and possibly other other things and the um the commissioning couple uh decide that they want to terminate the pregnancy they don't want to have the responsibility of of raising um a a child with disabilities and uh the biological mother uh, reacts like a mama bear and absolutely is determined not to let that happen. Um, the story is well written. It involves absolutely every aspect and shade of human drama. Um, and in the end, um, what I found most interesting was that the, the, the two biological moms... Uh, start investigating via the internet everything they can possibly do to make this child's life um, give it every possibility of normalcy and give her every chance. And they, uh, from from supplements to preparing a whole team of therapists and support people for after the birth. And what is fascinating is that the child, whose name is Delaney, Delaney Skye, um, is now two years old, and she has been meeting or surpassing most of the markers of normal children, not just, um, you know, other Down syndrome uh, kids. And she is an absolute little sparkler uh, who has her own Facebook page, and and the the moms have set up a foundation to teach other parents of Down syndrome and and uh, children with other disabilities that they have a lot that they can do, and I think the biggest element really is the passion and the love that they have poured into this child that has really reaped incredible rewards. So that's called Saving Delaney by Andrea and Keston Ott-Dow.
And that's a real story. When you started, for some reason, I guess I was still in the movie land, and <laughs> I was thinking this is fiction, but it started sounding realer and realer. So it's it's for real. It's it's, it's absolutely for real, and it, it's empowering, inspiring, amusing. I mean, for God's sake, the 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 people that they got to be um, sperm donors were a gay male couple, one black and one white, and then. The girls went through this whole um, worrisome period. You know, what was the child going to look like at the other end? And it was just just fascinating. Well, here we are at the end of the show. Wow. So, Cynthia Sue Larson, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And Brent Marchand, my dear. Thank you so much. Wonderful films, wonderful books. And uh, hope you'll join us next week. In the meantime, visit all of our websites, Reality Shifters, Brent's blog, and NC Review. Many blessings to you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. <laughs>